you park there for a second. Eternal perspective, book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So before we get started, I want to kind of give you kind of where, where I began uh, this week and, and, and how we kind of got to this uh, point. So I was reading an article, and listen, this is a true story about a young man who was in college in Germany. Normal college kid, right? I went to college. Want to know what my favorite food was in college? Swear, ask, ask my wife, my mom. They would come to, to college. Yeah, for a lot of you guys, it's ramen noodles, right? Cooked in the non-traditional way. You're sticking that thing in a paper plate, and you're putting it in with water, and you're shoving it in the microwave and putting it in there for just a few minutes uh, there. Or a cup of noodles, right? Uh, you know, 50 cents, terrible for you, full of all of bad things and MSG and all sorts of bad stuff. For me, my favorite food in college, and this is disgust my wife to the nth degree, but my favorite food in college was Vienna sausages, right? I love Vienna sausages, okay? I have perfected how to make them taste great in a microwave. I know how to cut them using the top, cutting them into little pieces. I love Vienna sausages. So y'all know that college kids are poor kids, right? They don't got money for anything. So this guy is putting himself through college and literally the only thing he has left at the end of the month is 240 bucks, right? So he actually gets this knock on the door by a man in a suit and the guy has a briefcase. And the kid, his name is Sergey. he let him talk. The guy brought, had brought him some bad news and he said, listen, I just want to let you know your uncle is dead. So Sergey's like, well, this is kind of weird. I'd only met, he'd only met his uncle in one occasion. But this guy, this man was a lawyer and he told him, hey, I just want to let you know, your uncle who died, he actually had no heirs. So Sergei had actually met his uncle when he was a child. He met him in a family reunion and he had left such an impression on his uncle that his uncle decided to leave him a fortune of $975 million. This is a true story. He went from having nothing to having almost a, million, a billion dollars in the bank. Now, I don't know what happened to him uh, after that or how does the story go, but I, I'm going to give you two things from this story, okay? And this is going to be a short message today. So after I give you these two things, then we can wrap up and you can go home. First, be nice to your uncle at family reunions, right? Second, you have to believe an inheritance like that would change everything your life would be radically different. And if you're a follower of Jesus, believing in Christ, believing in his work on the cross, believing in his resurrection to forgive you of your sin, then you are going to receive an inheritance one day. Now, the Bible is a little bit vague about it, but if God promises to give us an inheritance, you can bet on it that it'll make that $975 million look insignificant. See, if you believe in Jesus, then you have two things already that he's given you. Redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of your sins. God saves us from our sin. He restores us back to right relationship with himself. But here's the deal. 
He doesn't stop there. He also wants to give you an inheritance. So you don't just get salvation and he leaves you at that. He gives you an inheritance with it. And let me tell you, that ought to excite you. Broke people, unite. Be happy. We are unionized in Christ. (laughs) But it should also produce some questions in you. So I want to spend some time walking through those questions in you. But first, I kind of want to ground us in the word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 20. So here's what it says. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And we're going to get to what the saints mean. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or awakened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's this word? What's this word saints mean? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So once again, we talked last week, salvation has little to do with us and a whole lot to do with God wanting to rescue us. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now let me just tell you this. It would have been enough for God in his love to simply just save us. But scripture tells us that we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. So before he saved us, we were enemies of God. We spoke about that last week. We ran from him, but we came into God's grace and he gave us Jesus. But here's the deal. He didn't just stop there. He also decided to give us an inheritance. Why? God just doesn't want to save you from your sins, but he also wants to make you his son or his daughter. He wants you to be a part of his family. Now, only family gets inheritance, right? <clears throat> I, can't be your, I can't be your pastor under the law and receive your inheritance unless you've willed that to me and made me a part of what you're doing. But under the law, your family is what gets your inheritance. Now, here's the deal. I've been, I'm working my whole life for this. Now, don't hate on me. I'm working my whole life to make sure that my inheritance is not debt to my children. That I'm leaving them with something important. Not just financial, but something spiritual that I can invest in them. Now, God loves us so much that we are his sons and daughters. Listen to what Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 to 7 says. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Remember, we spoke about this thing, redeem. Take us out of slavery. Take us out of captivity. To those who are under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So your sons, your daughters of God, you're an heir of God. So not only does God forgive you, but he also makes you his son or his daughter. Not only is he your son and daughter, but at his death, there is something, there is an account in waiting for you in heaven because you are an heir. You receive an inheritance because you are the son and the daughter of a king. And scripture doesn't just stop there. It tells us what kinds of heirs we are. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 through 17 tells us this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is the second time in scripture that it speaks about this Abba, Father. It literally, Abba literally means Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I love the way that this first verse puts it. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, now I see a lot of this uh, in life. Life is a whole lot of us either deciding and making a conscientious decision to either move forward or move backwards. And sometimes life is a little bit of both. We're kind of moving backwards and moving forwards and slipping back. But here's what scripture is saying. You didn't receive that spirit of slavery to tumble you back into a life of sin and a life of fear. What you received is a spirit of adoption that says you are mine. A spirit that should impulse you forward instead of having you fall back. Here's the deal. You're a fellow heir with Jesus. That means that you're not just getting any inheritance. You are co-heirs with Jesus. You're not a second-rate B-team heir that somehow God chose afterwards. You are not the red-headed stepchild. Sorry for you who are red-headed. If you're in Christ, everything that belongs to Jesus is going to be yours one day. Everything that Jesus is going to receive as his inheritance at the end of the age, you're going to receive as well. If that's true, then it begs the question, what's the inheritance going to look like? So we just found out I'm going to get an inheritance. I found out that I'm a co-heir with Christ, that God has chosen to adopt me into his family and take me in as his child. But what's that inheritance going to be? Here's the truth. Interestingly enough, the Bible's not totally clear about what that will look like, but it gives us some clues. And, you know, can you pretend for a second that you're Sherlock Holmes with me and that we're going to, like, dig through these clues for a second? And, and I, think, I think the English language, being, being that it's such a young language compared to other ancient languages, really has a hard time. And I've said this before. There is a difference in between saying, I love you, right? Love has a depth to it in English. And there is a huge difference between saying that in a more ancient old language. Amor. Amore. There is a depth to that that the English language cannot produce because it is such a young language. But listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to try to get this. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That means you can't even begin to imagine 
what God has prepared for you who he loves. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to 4 tells, us, tells it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is, get this, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So Peter gives us four things. He tells us what we're getting is not on earth. It's heavenly. Number two, what he's telling us, it is imperishable. And we're going to kind of talk through what that means. He's telling us that it is undefiled. And we're going, to call, we're going to go through what that means as well. And he's telling us, number four, that it is unfading. So let's go through what imperishable means. So on earth, anything that you're going to receive is going to be perishable. It's going to be defiled. It's going to fail. Any inheritance you receive on earth, whether old, will get old spent and used up you can't take it with you when you die now let me tell you i am shocked by how our lives are a lot like the game of monopoly get the board out get in the car and we go around the board a few times along the way we make some money we pay some taxes we try to stay out of jail we acquire some property the problem is at some point the game ends. And it doesn't matter what you've acquired during the game, whether you're building motels on the boardwalk or just collecting rent on Baltic Avenue. There's coming a day when the game is going to be over and where you have to put everything back in the box. And our life is just like that. You get to go around this thing called life a few times, but there's going to come a day where this will end. We will die. None of the stuff that we've acquired in this life will go with them. Why? Because it's all perishable. Anything that we have on this earth is also defiled. Sin is involved with all the stuff that we get here on earth. Have you ever noticed why nothing really is truly able to satisfy us? Have, we have this idea that if we just had this one thing, then life would be good and we would be happy. Well, that's what we think. If I just had that money, if I just had that house, if I just didn't have to work as much as I do, if I didn't struggle as much as I do, if I had this one thing, then life would be better. I would be happy. My children would be set. So what we do is we work real hard to be able to obtain it. And we get it. And life goes on. And so we decide there must be something else that I need to make me happy. So we work harder to obtain that thing. And we get it. And we realize, hey, it doesn't fulfill the deepest needs of my soul either. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in the heart of mankind. Not just in the hearts of Christians, but he placed it in every man and in every woman's heart. The reason that nothing on earth can truly satisfy us is because non-eternal inheritance cannot satisfy an eternal longing in your heart. Our inheritance on this earth will also fade. Anything that you acquire on this earth will fade. Everything will fade. Everything will fade 
will go away. Now, I'm kind of trying to cope with this idea in my life. I know some of you older saints have, older folks have been down this path before, but I am a young guy, so I'm trying to kind of cope with this idea that, hey, there are people who I began my life with, who loved me, who cared for me, who I sat on their lap, who they fed me, who I enjoyed vacations with, who are investing in my kids, maybe right now, that won't be with me forever. There are places, peoples, and things that won't be with me in my life forever. I won't be your pastor forever. There'll come a day where either I'll pass away or my wife will pass away. One of us will pass away before the other. And that'll go away. There'll become a day when my parents who have loved and invested in me won't be in this earth forever. Everything on this earth will go away. It'll fade away. The only thing that will never fade away is what's heavenly. Scripture promises us the inheritance we're going to get and Christ is imperishable. That means that you'll never have to put it back in the box. It's undefiled. That means that there's no sin in it. You'll get to enjoy it. It will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. It will be something that's unfading. And the day you die and you wake up in the arms of Jesus and he gives you all of himself, you're going to say, oh my God, this is amazing. Three billion years from that point in time, you'll still be saying, oh my God, this is amazing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon described it this way. He is one of the greatest preachers of our, uh, or of the last century. When he was preaching on this same subject, he said, we have obtained an inheritance. The man who can truly say that the Lord is mine has an inheritance which death cannot wither, which space cannot contain, which time cannot limit, and which eternity cannot explore. And I can't wait for that. The greatest clue the Bible gives us about what our inheritance looked like is actually found a few verses uh, later. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. And, and we're, we kind of read a little bit about that in the beginning, but we'll focus on these two verses. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The word pledge in Greek is this word arabon. It's actually this common term in the Greek language that means literally a down payment. It's a little piece of the whole price as a promise that you're giving them a piece now, but you'll be back and you'll pay it in full later. Now, let me tell you something. I've, de- I've dealt in different financial areas, and sometimes when you uh, go uh, to be able to purchase something, you'll be able to purchase a car, you place a down payment on that thing. You're reserving it for yourself. When you go to purchase a house, you're going to place a down payment on thing. When, uh, uh, when you uh, take out a 
a mortgage or any type of loan, there's some sort of down payment that is made on this thing. It is the pledge that it will be paid completely later. The Bible is saying that the Holy Spirit is the Arabon. He is the down payment of our inheritance. God is giving us the Holy Spirit now, but he will come back to take us home and give us all of him forever. See, we get a little taste of what this inheritance is going to be and feel like when the Holy Spirit comes upon our life. That's why there is nothing more powerful in this life than when the Spirit of God comes into the life of man. That is why there's nothing more powerful than a time of worship and a time at the altar when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is nothing more special in this world than when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enables you. Why? Because it is a taste of the inheritance and of the goodness of God that he has intended for his people. Some of the most amazing moments in my life have been when I have been aware of the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. The day of salvation, the day I first believed, the day I surrendered to my calling, the times that I've been praying to God and crying out to God saying, God, I I don't get it. I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Nothing gets close to how the presence of God feels in my life. I've never felt more at peace or at home or more at joy than in those moments when I know I'm experiencing God's presence. Nothing, not money, not sex, not good food, not Christmas morning, not a vacation. None of it gets close to what it feels like to be in the presence of God. You know, I I never got it. I never understood it. Now I'm kind of to understand it a little bit more. I grew up at a storefront church. Storefront, Spanish Pentecostal church. Small as can be. Never bothered my whole life that it was small. Now that I've gotten older, I've seen other churches. Things bother me when I see them. Small bothers me when I see it. I never understood why. It never bothered me as a kid that we belonged to this small church. Yeah, there were empty seats uh, uh, about it. Yeah, you know, we reached out uh, to our community when we could. Yeah, everything wasn't perfect, but there was something that didn't bother me about that moment or didn't necessarily bother anybody else. And here's what it was. It was that the Spirit of God was always so powerfully in that place that heaven touched earth and met in that place. We didn't have time to focus on all the other garbage because we were focused on what that inheritance was in our life. We get a little taste about that inheritance now. But one day we'll come where we'll get the fullness of God's spirit forever. And I don't know what our inheritance is going to be like, but I know Paul says that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and the heart of man has not imagined what God has prepared for those who loved him. I want to end with looking at one more verse where Paul drops a bomb on us. It's one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. And he's talking about an inheritance, but he's actually not talking about our inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, where are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I'll read that one more time. Ephesians 1, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance 
his glorious inheritance in the saints. The, the entire first chapter, Paul is talking about our inheritance. Then all of a sudden he stops and he prays that we would know, that we, us, would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. He doesn't say the glory of our inheritance, but rather God's inheritance. So who are the saints? We are. You and me. Everyone who's called on the name of the Lord Jesus is a saint. Everyone who is washed in the blood of Jesus is a saint. We are God's inheritance. God has everything in heaven but one thing. He already has the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading glory of heaven. He has the Trinity himself, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The only thing God has to look forward to in heaven that he doesn't already have is you. God wants you. He wants to spend eternity with you. And I know you're thinking in this moment, well, how can that be? And you're thinking of all maybe that you've done. You're struggling with the idea maybe that God even loves you, much less that he would make you his son or a co-heir with Jesus or even decide to give you an inheritance. But I don't care what you're in, what sin you're involved with, or how unworthy you feel. That is why the Lord Jesus died on the cross, to pay for all of that stuff. That is why he rose again from the grave. That is why God looks at you and says, I want you to be my inheritance. You are my treasure. <laughs>